Before we get started with the podcast, we've got another StoryBrand Marketing Workshop happening in July. It's another live stream, July 20th and 21st. If you've not attended StoryBrand before but have always wanted to, this is a great opportunity. You know, normally it's about $3,000. You fly to Nashville, so you have to pay for that. You have to pay for the hotel rooms. But it's only $9.95. If you've always wanted to attend StoryBrand but haven't been able to, definitely check it out, storybrand.com. Again, it's July 20th and 21st. Mark it on your calendar today and be there with us, storybrand.com. Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hi, Don. J.J., question out of left field. Okay. (laughs) When has somebody lost trust with you, and how'd they do it? And how did it feel? Oh, <laughs> that's three questions. Give me your so where air I, the dirty laundry where from I somebody else's lost life. Trust in somebody else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or they lost trust in me. Yeah. When did somebody break trust? And you're like, oh man. Um, you know, there's some very big ones that have happened. Like, Tell us. Um, Let's call them. Well, a cheating ex. <laughs> we'll just put that out there. Oh no. Um, <laughs> that took a little bit. <laughs> or friends who lied to you. But I think where it probably honestly happens more often is when somebody, and this is often in kind of a work environment in particular, when somebody says something to my face to the effect of like, here's what I expect out of you, and then turns around and behind, like in an other circle says something different. Mm-hmm. Like the expectations are not clear or met. Like that happens. I told you I was sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're just gonna air that dirty laundry right now. And let me tell you how that felt, Don. Well, here's somebody who lost my good. trust. When on the air in a podcast, <laughs> somebody, <talked> somebody <laughs> brings out the dirty laundry. No, I, I'm just, I really can think of some very specific situations where mm-hmm. somebody is like, you're doing great, this is awesome, da da da. Turn around and then and turn around and goes, they're not doing what they I asked them to, and they undermine everything. So in a meeting, they're really supportive. So then, then their support doesn't mean a whole lot. Doesn't mean anything. So then I don't trust them. Yeah. At, at all. That it ends up being to where then I then kind of put on a facade as well. Like so, yeah. the feeling that it makes me become something I don't want to be. Right. Which is a little more hard. Which is a little more closed. Um, not as gracious or giving. So I in some ways like shrink a little bit. When I lose trust in somebody else, I think one of the things that happens to me is around them, I shrink. I get smaller. Because when I trust people, you've got my all, right? Mm. Like I give everything. Do you trust right away? I do. I actually start. Yeah, I, I do too. I, I start with trust and I give it all. Like I literally, I'll give, you can come stay at my house. Da, da, da. You know, like my world is your world. And then when you lose my trust, I shrink. Yeah. My world shrinks, and you lose part of that in that process. Yeah. Well, today's interview is with Stephen M. R. Covey. He wrote a book called The Speed of Trust, uh-huh. and it's really about the importance of trust, which we really don't even think about until we lose trust in somebody yeah. or somebody loses trust in us. And I'm trying to think of a time. I know that there's been times when people have lost trust in me. It's usually in the area of competency where I, I told them I would do something and I didn't do it. Mm. Or I didn't turn something in or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you can tell, you know, the next engagement, there's like a, you know, I've lost something. Yeah. And you can feel it. 
and it's tangible. And then you quickly translate that into money. This person's not going to trust me with responsibility. Yep. It's massive. But at the same time, you don't really think the thing that I want to work on in my career and my professional capabilities is trust. It's trust, yeah. Right? <laughs> Nobody says that. No. <laughs> and yet it's the number one thing. Yeah. It's very interesting. Well, from especially from... I would say from a corporate perspective, like one of the things that we really try to hold tight to is fulfilling our promises. Like right. if we promise something to a customer, we don't want to overpromise and then underdeliver, right? Yeah. We and we don't do the opposite either where we underpromise like do this little sneaky thing. We literally say here's what we're shooting for and we want to deliver on our promise. You know, you know who brought that to our company? I mean, we were all kind of wired that way. It was yeah. really Tim Sure. Yeah. Cuz Tim Sure is like, "Well, we said this." Yep. And we said this. Okay, great. You know, I forgot about that. Let's do this. Yep. Because we said that. Yep. And, uh, you know, we have rapidly grown. Yeah. And, you know, when we send out an email and we got a new product, we get thousands and thousands of people buying it. And there's only one reason. Yeah. Trust. Yep. Right? Because they've done something before and we fulfilled that promise. Trust is everything. Everything. Mm -hmm. It really is everything. So this book is super important. Again, it's The Speed of Trust by Stephen M. R. Covey. And we actually do a breakdown of the book inside of the interview. Not that you shouldn't buy the book, but <laughs> we, we actually get to a lot of it. So I'm really grateful. It was both a convicting interview for me mm -hmm. because I'd realized I had told somebody I would look at a proposal and get back to them. While I'm having this interview, here's the secret, what's all in my head. I told somebody about 10 days ago, I'd look at a proposal and get back to them, and I didn't. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's what's on my yeah. <laughs> when I'm going yeah. through this interview. And so I realized in the interview, I got to get back to this guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I've also got to apologize. And next time I say I'm going to do something, I've got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because it's important. Yeah. All right. So here's my conversation with Stephen M. R. Covey on the speed and importance of trust. Stephen Covey, thanks for joining us. Hey, great to be with you, Don. I'm very excited for today. Well, I've loved your books. They've, they've been so helpful to our business. Uh, I mean, directly, directly reading your books, applying what you teach, and ending up with higher revenue, better relationships, more productivity, more efficiency, better execution, on and on. I could just go down the, uh, down the road. I, I'm very grateful. I was thinking about this before we talked. Trust is something you don't realize is the most important thing until it's gone. It's like oxygen. And the more of it you have, the better you do in life, the better you do in business. Do you agree with that? Absolutely, completely. In fact, uh, uh, Warren Buffett said your exact same quote. He said, trust is like the air that we breathe. Hmm. And when it's present, you don't really notice. But when it's absent, everybody notices. And that's what's happening today in our world is we're seeing a, an absence of trust, a crisis of trust, and suddenly people are paying attention to this, which is a good thing because we've got to focus on it in order to build it. You're right. In our culture, we don't see trust like we used to. And you know, people don't trust the government. Republicans don't trust Democrats. Democrats don't trust Republicans. People don't trust the media. The government doesn't trust the media. The media doesn't trust the government. <laughs> it's an absolute, it's an absolute chaos. <laughs> it is. And first of all, before we get into the solution and how you can build trust quickly and the real way with integrity, talk to me about what happens when trust is eroded in a culture and relationships in a business. What happens when trust is eroded? Well, it has enormous impact, um, not just social, but also financial. Hmm. And on the financial side, here's what happens. Everything takes longer to do. Everything costs more to do. You've got to put in place procedures and policies and, and rules and regulations and structures and systems to compensate for that lack of trust. 
It takes time. It costs money. That is a tax. Um, you know, I call it a low trust tax, and and the cost of it is enormous. But the the good news is it works the other direction too. When when the trust is high, you move fast, low cost. But let me tell you what else happens. You know, besides the kind of the business impact on trust, where there's low cost or high cost and low speed, what it does to people, it, it exhausts people. Hmm. It is draining. It's no fun to be a part of a, a low trust team or culture. It's demoralizing, it's draining, and people don't look forward to it at all. And the neuroscience on this is overwhelming. But again, the converse you know, is so inspiring of what trust does to people, a high trust team culture of how it energizes and makes it uh, exciting and fun to be a part of that. And so, you know, I like to say that trust on the business side impacts speed and cost. And on the leadership side, it's energy and joy. Yeah. Either direction of what trust does. Well, I want to talk about, I want to break down trust, how we lose it, how we gain it. But I'll give you a little anecdote first. You know, the shtick on this podcast, uh, Stephen, is that I get free consulting that would normally cost me tens of thousands of dollars, and then everybody gets to listen in. <laughs> so, <laughs> with you on the show, man, I'm going for it. You know, I'm talking to my team the other day. We're filming something, and in the background, out the window while we're filming, it's a very expensive, you know, curriculum shoot. There's an excavator digging a hole out way out in the backyard. We, we were filming at my house. And the director came and said, we got to lose the excavator. The, the big yellow crane going back and forth is in the shots. And I said, listen, that's as expensive as this shoot. You know, if I <laughs> shut that down. And later that night, I was telling my wife, I said, honey, I think I, you know, I told Julian, our director, and Tim, my COO, that that crane is as expensive as a shoot. And, you know, I was very much exaggerating but I kind of meant it in order to get them to let me get what I want. And uh, she said, Don, you got to go to him and tell him that you grossly exaggerated the cost of that excavator (laughs) because (laughs) you will lose trust. And, you know, that's what we were actually negotiating. My wife and I were saying, you can't lose trust. You can't be doing that stuff. And what are the ways that we lose trust? Do I go back to my team and say, hey, I lied about an excavator yesterday. Everybody should know it's not that expensive. How do we negotiate trust? And what are the important things that, that we need to do? First of all, let me get to a more pointed question. How do you lose trust? What causes a loss of trust between human beings? When you violate expectations, when you violate principles, it's mm. through your behavior. Yeah. You behave way into trust. You behave your way out of trust. It's not about what you say so much. It's about what you do. It's about what you do. And so, you know, when you do what you say you're going to do, you build it. But when you say you're going to do it and then don't do it, people say, I'm not quite sure if I can believe what they say. When you twist, spin, exaggerate, or flat out lie. So I have a whole, you know, list of of behaviors to help you build it or help you. And if you do the opposite of those behaviors, you'll lose it. And so it's, it's behavior. And also you'll see it in this way. You'll see violations of character or even violations of competence. You know, a violation of character is you know, somehow I'm dishonest or uncaring, and I demonstrate and show that. And people will say, gosh, I'm not sure that this person has my best interest in mind. Right. And you know, I don't know if I can trust them or they're dishonest or, or they have some agenda or some motive. So that's on the character side, but also on the competence side. You know, If I don't deliver... If I don't get the job done, if I don't do what I say I'm going to do, if I don't uh, come through on performing, yeah, I might be a nice guy, right? And and I might be honest, but if I can't perform and deliver, people will like me, but they're not going to trust me to take on the new project, the opportunity, the client, if I don't have a track record of performing. So 
too often we kind of just narrow trust down to character only. And it's really a combination of character and competence. And you can violate it on either front. You know, I think the fastest way you gain trust tends to be on the competence side. You deliver, you perform for someone, you can get it fast. The fastest way you lose trust tends to be on the character side. Boy, isn't that the truth? And then that puts a lot of people listening to this podcast are in a situation right now where they've got somebody who delivers competency, but they've demonstrated a lack of character, and now they're torn. Because what you've got is you've got on staff a really friendly pit bull who everybody loves, but bit one kid. Now, everything that that dog does is exhausting. Every time they get near a kid, it's exhausting. What do you do? And we're going to get to the solution here in a second, I promise. But, but what do you do in a situation like that when you have somebody who, you know, if you get lied to once, the person who did the lying believes they're 99% uh, integritable. They just lied one out of 100 times. But the person who's listening to that person is wondering a hundred times whether or not they're telling the truth. And that can be completely exhausting. Have you ever gone into relationships like that and helped them mend? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to your point, uh, Nietzsche said, it's not so much that you lied to me, it's that I can no longer believe you. Oh, You, know, wow. you, you lie yeah. once, like yeah. you say, now I, I can no longer believe you. But yes, absolutely. You can if people are willing and wanting to change and to address it. And I've learned that the key is kind of to not attack the person, but instead to address the behavior. Hmm. It's an easier way to kind of step back and stand back and say, you know, I can choose to change my behavior. So rather than saying, hey, I don't trust you. Right. In fact, nobody in our team trusts you at all. You know, and that comes across as you're evil, you're a bad person, you know, no one trusts you at all. And that, that ends the relationship right there. Ends and the relationship. Yeah, they can't hear you. Those are fighting words. You're not effective. Here's a far more effective way. Maybe say something like this. Hey, that kind of behavior causes me and others to lose trust. When you commit to something and then not deliver, I don't know if I can trust the next time you make a commitment. When you talk about something and it's not truthful, the next time you speak, I don't know if I can believe what you're saying. When you go behind my back and not to me, then I'm worried you're doing it again and again and again. So, you know, it causes me to lose trust. So you, you, you separate the person from the behavior. You don't attack the person. Instead, you address the behavior. Then you make a behavior-specific request of saying, here's what would help build trust with me. If you make a commitment, keep it or else don't make one. If you're going to talk to me, tell it straight to me versus, you know, or don't talk to me about it. You know, you're right. basically inviting them how they can behave their way into trust instead of behaving their way out of it. And I'll tell you what, Don, sometimes people will ignore it, not do anything about it, but I've seen relationships change and transform, teams, cultures improve when people learn that trust is conditioned on your credibility and your behavior. And yes. just like you can behave your way out of trust, you can also behave your way back into trust. And that's exciting. You say on page three of your book, Speed of Trust, we can increase trust much faster than we might think, and doing so will have a huge impact both in quality of our lives and in the results we are able to achieve. You also have several waves of trust. The first wave is self-trust. Second is relationship trust. And third and fourth and fifth waves really are stakeholder trust. I'd like to dive into some of these. You'll have to read the book to get it all. Obviously, it's incredibly valued to be trusted and to be trustworthy. But the first is interesting. It's that you have to be able to trust yourself and build trust within yourself. Can you explain why that is so important, self-trust? Yeah. Well, think about it this way. If you don't trust yourself, how do you expect others to trust you? Yeah. 
<laughs> and also, if you don't trust yourself, what will be your mindset as you look out and ask, can I trust other people? And yet I don't trust myself. At some point, you project that distrust out onto everybody else. And so it's got to be, you know, I call it inside out. I'll tell you a brief story on this. I gave a seminar one time and a person came up at the break and said, hey, when you talked about those five waves of trust, that was really impactful to me because it helped explain my life. Hmm. And I said, tell me more. He said, my whole life, I'm not happy with where I'm at in my life and my career. And I've always blamed everybody else that I can't trust people. I can't trust my boss. I, you know, my first job, I can't trust my boss. I get another boss. Can't trust this boss. Can't trust the company. Go to another company. Can't trust the boss there, the company. Can't trust. Go home to my neighborhood. Can't trust my neighbors. He goes, I don't even trust my kids. Yeah. And then he goes, when you put up the five waves of trust, I realized my problem. And then he kind of looked around, made sure nobody was looking. And he whispered into my ear these words. He said, I don't trust myself. I don't <laughs> trust myself. And I realize now I am projecting that distrust of myself onto everybody else. Hmm. It is flavoring how I interpret everybody else. If I can't trust myself, how can I trust anybody else? And I realize I've got to look in the mirror. I've got to build this self-trust, this self-confidence. And then from that, you can emanate and ripple out trust. But it's got to start with yourself or else others won't trust you. And how are you going to be able to trust other people if you can't even trust yourself? So that's why self-trust is you know, the foundation of all other kinds of trust to make it sustainable. Well, you say on page 47, research shows that many of us don't follow through on the goals we set or don't keep the promises and commitments we make to ourselves, which hacks away at our self-confidence. Not only do we lose trust in our ability to make and keep commitments, we fail to project the personal strength of character that inspires trust. And you've got four core results. I'd love to talk about two of them if we can. One of them is integrity, intense capabilities, and results. So the four are integrity, intense capabilities and results. I'd love to, first of all, just talk about intense. I think uh, you've got some incredible stuff to say about integrity, but again, we need to read the book. What do you mean by intent? That's not a normal word we hear when we're talking about building trust. Yeah. Intent is your motive. It's also your agenda. And the motive that best builds credibility and trust is caring. Hmm. When you care about the people that you're serving and they know you care about them, when you care about the people that you're leading and they know you care about them, caring is the motive. You demonstrate that. And I'll tell you what, right now in this crisis, this is so critical to be trusted as a leader is if people believe and feel that you genuinely care about them mm -hmm. at this point in their life. And, and the, the best way to do that is to actually care. <laughs> it's not to, to fake it. to actually care and then to demonstrate it. Yeah, you can't fake caring. And you, you know, in the long run, it will backfire big time. And so it's to genuinely care and to demonstrate that caring in your actions. But, you know, caring is the motive. It's all part of intent. Intent is, you know, where am I coming from? And so when my motive is that I care about you, then you tend to trust me. If you don't feel like I care, then you might say, look, this person might be very confident, but the fact that they don't care about me, I'm worried whether they, I can trust them. The second piece is this. It's your agenda. And the agenda that best builds credibility and trust is mutual benefit. Win-win. Win-win. Yes. Yeah, because if I feel like, hey, this person has their own agenda, it's a self-serving agenda, it's a hidden agenda, it's I, me, mine, I don't 
fully trust what they're saying and people won't trust us if they feel like we have a self-serving agenda. Mutual benefit is the only sustainable approach in an interdependent reality. If, if you got to work together, we've got it's got to be win-win to be sustainable. And, and if it's win-lose or just win at all costs, I don't care what happens to you, you know, self-serving, then people won't trust you. So your intent matters. And, and you know, integrity is the roots. I use the metaphor of a tree. It's the roots, but the trunk of the tree is your intent. Caring is the motive. Win-win, mutual benefit is the agenda. When that's in place, people will tend to trust you if they believe you have their best interest at heart. If they don't believe that or feel that, they tend to not trust you. Well, you also say on page 132, you can say all of these things, but unless you actually do them, your words will not build trust. In fact, they will destroy it. The second wave of trust is relationship trust, and you give super practical advice, not just philosophical, practical advice. You've got 13 things that we can do to build trust in relationships. The first is talk straight. Now, you've already said, you know, you've got to talk to somebody and you can't, you know, be against them. But you've got to sort of measure that with talking straight, right? How do you talk straight without being judgmental? And what do you mean by talk straight? I mean, tell the truth. Yeah. Call things what they are. Use simple language. Candor is the language of trust. Let me tell you the best way to look at these behaviors, including talk straight. If you look at the opposite of it, that's when you lie. And so, gosh, this is straightforward, right? We learned this in kindergarten. You tell the truth, you build trust, you lie, you destroy it. Of course, that's self-evident. What makes this so difficult? What makes it difficult is what I call the counterfeit behavior. And counterfeit behavior, like counterfeit money, looks real, but it's not. Counterfeit behavior looks real, might even work, but it comes at a price. Trust goes down. So counterfeit behavior, talk straight, is, is when you spin. It's when you twist, when you manipulate, when you posture, when you tell people what they want to hear. So today, in, with all that's going on, you, you know, it's, if you try to sugarcoat everything, you get up and you just sugarcoat and ni- you know, nicely paint these platitudes when everyone knows that's not really what's happening. And then they start to say, I don't know if I can fully trust what he or she is saying. You know, getting a reputation to being a truth teller versus someone that's spinning. And most cultures are filled with spin where everyone's spinning. Mm-hmm. And the culture is a culture of spin. But as a result, trust goes down. And we see that throughout. So each of the 13 behaviors, the behavior is so self-straightforward, it's self-evident. The opposite, equally straightforward, self-evident. You know, you tell the truth, you build trust, you lie to stress. What trips us up is the counterfeit. And the, the spin, the sweet talk, the telling people what they want to hear, or to be technically telling the truth, but leaving the wrong impression. It's a powerful list. Talk straight, demonstrate respect, create transparency. Right the wrongs, show loyalty, deliver results, get better, confront reality, clarify expectations, practice accountability, listen first, keep commitments, extend trust. I mean, if anybody does those 13 things, they are going to be trustworthy. I want to focus on one of them really quick because I think there's a lot of people who may need some advice on this. That's number four, right wrongs. Let's say you've done something wrong, you've broken trust. Is there a method to righting that wrong? This is a critical principle because if we couldn't right the wrong, then we'd all be circling the drain. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, we've all fallen short, made mistakes. But how you how you right the wrong can actually create more trust coming out of it. It's possible. And so the whole premise is that I've got to kind of, first of all, take responsibility and own it. 
It's hard to right or wrong if I'm blaming everybody else and not owning it and taking responsibility for it. Because if I'm on the other side, I'm like, ah, this person still doesn't get it. Yeah. But if they say, look, I was wrong. I'm responsible. I, I own it. You know, that's practicing accountability with yourself. You're owning it. You're taking responsibility. Then you might need to apologize and to, um, you know, make it right as best you can. You apologize. You make restitution, a legal concept to make whole as best you can. Sometimes you're not able to do it fully, but you do it with what you can. And then here's the key principle, Don. You can't talk your way out of a problem that you behaved your way into. That is so true. So if yeah. you've lost people's trust because of the wrong, you can't talk your way out of it. The only way out is to behave your way out. So, you know, so yeah, you take, you own it, you apologize for it. And then you say, look, here's what I'm going to do going forward to try to regain, rebuild, restore the trust you have in me. And, uh, you know, you clarify expectations, you tell people what you're going to do to rebuild, regain that trust. And then the most important thing is now you keep commitments. You do what you say you're going to do. Is that, you know, is that straightforward of saying, look, I own it. I apologize. I make it right. Here's what I try to do to, to make it up. And then I do it and I keep that and I behave my way back into trust because you can't talk your way out of it. You've got to behave your way out of it. It's the only way out. And it's possible. No, look, I acknowledge there might be some situations where you don't have a chance to restore trust because, you know, the nature of the violation is so egregious or the nature of the relationship is so transactional, there's no opportunity. But in most situations, I think we can restore it if we're willing to behave our way out of it. It's a, it's a powerful principle to behave your way back into trust. I'll be right back with the rest of my conversation with Stephen M. R. Covey in just a moment. But first, we wanted to play the third interview in a three-part series with one of our StoryBrand certified marketing guides. These are guides. These are marketing professionals who we have trained to create a sales funnel the StoryBrand way. And when I say the StoryBrand way, the gist of that means this. It's designed to make you money. It's not just designed to build a pretty website or to represent your brand or any of that. It is. It does that, but it is designed to actually get you a return on investment. And so it's a different way of doing marketing, but it should be the way marketing is done by everybody. Sadly, it's not. It is done that way by people who have flown to Nashville, spent four days with us, and then spent another year in ongoing virtual training to learn to make a sales funnel the way that gets the best return. Also, it's a community of 500 StoryBrand certified guides who keep sharing with each other best practices in marketing. These are sharp folks. And we thought you would benefit by a short conversation in which we ask them questions about how they're getting a return on their customers' investments. Here's the third interview in our series with StoryBrand certified marketing guides. Paul, good to have you on. It's good to be here. Thanks, Don. Up in the Pacific Northwest, the Portland area, Vancouver, Washington. That's right. That's right. It's beautiful up here. It's about to get really beautiful up there. That's it. The sun starts Shh, coming out. No, no, no. It's, it rains all the time. It rains all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, you've helped a ton of clients make a ton of money and increase their revenue, specifically going into um, you know quarantine. A lot of people pivoted their, their messages and even pivoted their business strategy. And you helped a specific client do that uh, to great success. Can you share a little story about what happened? 
Oh, sure. No problem at all. I, I started coaching a local tutoring business who specializes in working with students in person. She really likes to train her team to be able to instruct uh, kids that are having trouble reading, dyslexic kids, kids that are just needing a little more attention. And all of a sudden the world changed. And our first coaching session together, we had to uh, pivot just the session itself and start filming a new video for her website and adjusting some copy on her homepage and then creating a lead generation asset that would start bringing in some leads for internet-based clients. So she literally pivoted her entire business strategy. The way she made money was now impossible. Exactly. Yeah. She had to keep her business running and shift and completely how she was running it all at the same time. Which is true of even if they had, even if people listening didn't do this during quarantine, mm -hmm. if there's a way to do it to climb out of this recession, you got to do it. So what sort of conversations were you guys having? You immediately filmed a video. What was important to put into that video? For her, it was important to put her students and families at ease. This was right in the beginning when she was still accepting students and still needing to figure out how to set up her procedures and policies so that people felt comfortable and really communicating and reaching out in a proactive way rather than fielding all the phone calls. And since then, she's had to completely uh, shut down her in-person classroom campus and go just online uh, for everything. And right at the time where she was about to experience her typical summer slowdown, because in the summer she gets fewer students in because fewer students are in school. And as a result of launching a new promotion and changing the messaging, she's actually getting more students than she's had for a summer uh, when most of the businesses around her are closing down. Do you remember any of the messaging points, anything that, anything that you said in the copy that you thought this is going to be a really great hook? Yeah. So what we actually created was a math may day. Because what we were experiencing for her, <laughs> awesome. her parents, that uh, for her students, was that students were coming home with all this math homework that they were now uh, having to shift from parent mode into teacher mode with distance learning. And we found that most of the parents learned math a little differently than they teach it now and are getting frustrated <laughs> having to work from home and be homeschool teacher. And they were needing a math mayday. So just really keying into the pain points. Was that a lead generator or a product? It was a lead generator that led into a product. So a, a coupon, a summer special, get half off June if you commit to the whole summer. Man, she's and she rolling in it now. She's got more business than she knows what to do with. Yeah, we launched it actually just two days ago, and she's already had two current clients that would normally uh, pause during the summer, say that they're interested in keeping going for math, and we're already seeing lots of downloads from her lead generator just the first morning we launched it. Two days ago, and she's already very, very hopeful. Yep, she's seen it right away. Well, Paul, thanks for helping these businesses make so much money. It's Paul Kuthi. K-U-T-H-E. And if you'd like to hire Paul, go to marketingmadesimple.com. It's a directory of about 500 StoryBrand certified guides. Paul is one of them, but each of them can help you create a sales funnel that grows your business. Paul, helping small businesses, helping the country. I'm so thankful for you. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks so much. If you would like to hire a StoryBrand certified marketing guide, go to marketingmadesimple.com. That's where our directory is. You can look at all 500. You can look at their work. Contact them, find out if that's the right guide for you to build a sales funnel that actually gets results. Go to marketingmadesimple.com. Let me ask you this. Are there times before we move on to the third, fourth, and fifth wave of trust? Are there times and, and what are your general rules? And I realize it's, it's contextual and also intuitive and there's some art here, not just science. What are the rules on you saying, you know, this person, uh, 
I'm just not going to choose to trust this person. Uh, we're going to remove them from the company or remove them from the community. When do we need to go there and go that far? Look, the reality is that there's, we're going to work with people. Sometimes we're not going to be able to trust everybody. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't be smart to just indiscriminately trust anyone and everybody. And especially, it wouldn't be smart to trust someone who's consistently proven they're not trustworthy. Right. And so this is not saying go out and trust everybody. That wouldn't be smart in today's world. But the reality is sometimes there's people we can't trust. You do your best to try to help build trust in that relationship. If they're willing, then maybe you play, you stay with it, you try, you improve, you try to focus on behavior, let them behave their way out. If they're not willing, they don't want to play, then you might say, you either have to kind of pay the tax and just navigate around them, or you say, this tax is, is so disruptive, we got to get them off the team. If you're in a position to move someone out, you might need to move them out because it might be the best thing for the entire team to move a low trust player that's causing a cancer of distrust in the entire team you know, to move them out. But sometimes you're not in a position to move them out. You got to work with someone you don't trust, in which case you just do your best to navigate it. So where possible, you try to improve, change the relationship. Both parties need to be willing. You have to be give, give them the chance to do it. They have to be willing to do it. If they're not willing, then you have to say, am I in a position to, to uh, do anything about this? If you're not, you deal with it and navigate around it. If you are, at some point you remove them. You give them a chance. But that's the key test. Is what's hard is when they're a performer. So they, they got the confidence, like you said earlier, they deliver, but they're running everybody over the process or they're violating the values of the company. That's the test of leadership. What do you do then? You know, you're going to be true to your values and say, look, we got to remove a performer who is violating who we are. Just like you would probably need to remove at some point someone that's an honest person that's not able to perform or deliver, or at least put them in a different seat on the bus if, you know, maybe they're in the wrong role. So yeah, it's a, it's a reality. The first 12 behaviors make you more trustworthy, make you more credible as a leader. The 13th behavior is different in kind. It's extend trust. Right. This is what transforms a manager into a leader. It's not enough to be trustworthy, Don, to have trust. Think about this. You could have two trustworthy people working together, both trustworthy, and yet no trust between them if neither person is willing to extend trust to the other. I've seen this happen on teams, two trustworthy teams, two trustworthy departments, character and competence in both, no trust between them because neither team or department is willing to extend trust to the other. So not only do you have to be trustworthy, you've got to be trusting. Yeah. You have to be willing to give it, yeah. to get it. There's a reciprocity of trust. When you give it, people receive it and they return it. When you withhold it, they withhold it. And this is so needed for leaders today. Thankfully, we're seeing more and more leaders saying, you've got to be trustworthy. They know that. That's your credibility. Like you were saying with your wife, it means everything, your credibility, that you're trustworthy. But you also got to be trusting in order to have trust, to sustain it. And it's not a one size fits all. You got to be smart about it. But there's a risk to trust, but there's a risk not to trust. And I think not trusting often is the greater risk. So uh, use good judgment, but extend trust. That's what great leaders do. There's a guy who runs a ministry down in Atlanta, and he really changes lives. His name is Bruce Deal. He runs a ministry called City of Refuge, and he wrote a book called Trust First. And literally, his whole philosophy is 
Doesn't matter how trustworthy they are. Trust them and watch that trust transform them. If they break that trust, you have to go through a cycle of reconciliation and figuring out how to restore that trust. And if they keep breaking it, you stop trusting them. You don't be a fool. But that was new to me because I tend to be an extremely high trust person until you break it, and then I never trust you again. <laughs> so this is a, that's not exactly healthy either. <laughs> but So the idea of reconciling and figuring out how to rebuild trust is actually quite new to me because I like profit and efficiency, and once you break my trust, we're just going to go find somebody else. But this is actually very convicting to me to understand that I need to keep extending trust. All right, I want to be able to sum up here and get through the third, fourth, and fifth waves, which are all about external. It's about stakeholder trust, organizational trust, market trust, and societal trust. You also have a smart trust matrix that I would love to get into. Does the smart trust matrix apply to organizational market and societal trust, to the stakeholder trust? Well, no, it applies at every level. It's smart trust matrix is all about extending trust. And the whole idea is, you know, so what we just talked about is you don't want to just extend trust blindly because you can get burned. Not everyone can be trusted. Or some people aren't capable. Like my wife, recently had to have some surgery. Mm-hmm. Look, I love my wife. My wife loves me. My wife trusts me, but she didn't ask me to perform the surgery because <laughs> I'm not a doctor. <laughs> right. I'm not a doctor. So she trusted me, but not to perform surgery. Right. So, you know, the trust is always contextual. It's always tied to the job to be done. And so that's part of smart trust. You wouldn't want to trust somebody to do something you're not capable or qualified to do. And yet you want to give them opportunities to develop and grow in their competencies. So as we look at different stakeholders, you build trust with inside of the company and a team and a culture. You're trying to match up character and competence so that they have the capabilities to perform, to deliver. And the same thing with customers and partners. We're always trying to extend trust just in a smart way. It's just trying to use a filter of good judgment as we extend trust. But like your friend that said trust first, my starting point is start with the propensity to trust. If you start with that, if that's your mindset going in, you will see possibilities you would never see otherwise with uh, society, with the market. And a good example of this, take Muhammad Yunus, mm-hmm. uh, the founder of Grameen Bank, You know, which he, he's seen as the founder of the microcredit movement. Grameen Bank makes these small loans, $50 loans to people trapped in a cycle of poverty just so they can break out of it. But he's giving loans to people who have no collateral, no opportunity for a better life. And the banks, traditional banks, wouldn't touch it because they say right. there's no collateral. We can't trust them. And he's saying, like your friend, he's saying, trust first. He's saying, I can trust them. They'll pay it back. But he does it in a smart way with small, you know, small loans and then small payback along the way so they're not a big balloon payment. And he gets a council of people that have received loans to be on the committee to decide who to give them to. So he's using good judgment to it. But he starts saying most people can be trusted. They'll rise to the occasion. Long story made short, the payback rate on these loans is over 99%. Wow. And it's just phenomenal. And he's lifted tens of millions of people out of poverty, won the Nobel Peace Prize for him and Grameen Bank by starting with the premise, this is stakeholder trust, that most people can be trusted. People without collateral getting small loans and just watching them respond to it. So, you know, there's an example of smart trust. Someone might say, how is that smart, Stephen? You have no collateral. And here's how it's smart. It's a $50 loan. Right. If one goes wrong, he can take a risk and he kind of learns and gets a pattern and, and kind of checks it out. So it's not a one size fits all. But the mindset, the paradigm 
of saying, I'm going to be a trusting leader because of what it does to people, how they're inspired by it, how they rise to the occasion, perform better. To be trusted is the most inspiring form of human motivation. It brings out the very best in all of us. And so when you ripple out through those other waves with our team, with our culture, our company, with partners and customers, again, there's a reciprocity of trust and of distrust. We are trying to get this working for us. So it becomes a virtuous upward spiral for all stakeholders. Stephen, before we take off, we are in a low trust world. That's where we started this interview. We talked about the government not trusting the people, the people not trusting the government, the news not trusting anybody, on and on and on. And uh, cats not trusting dogs, the whole bit. Is there a hopeful example for us out there? Yeah, there's hope. There's hope. And I'll tell you what, I'll give it with a personal one. And what, what I describe here personally can apply at every level, every relationship. So when my son turned 16, you know, he's excited to drive, right? Right. And so my wife and I sat down with him and said, okay, son, driving's a privilege, not a right. Let's go over the rules. You know, you got to be safe, obey the speed limit, wear your seatbelt, et cetera, et cetera. You got it, son? Yeah, got it, dad. Got it, mom. Are you clear about these rules? Because if you, if you violate the rules, you'll lose the privilege to drive. Don't worry, he said. <laughs> well, so everything was great for the first month. Then about a month into this, it's a Friday night at midnight. I hear the phone ring. My wife, his mother, answers the phone, and I hear her say these words. Well, I'll let you talk to his father, officer. Oh, no. <laughs> and sure enough, it's the police. <laughs> My son has been pulled over for speeding, excessive speeding, as in going 83 miles an hour in a 25-mile-an-hour oh, day. Now, you yeah. know, he's a good kid, but he just had teenage judgment. And he said, well, Dad, I was just trying to get home for curfew, so I had to hurry really fast. And then he later said, well, Dad, I was just trying to show you what the speed of trust really was. <laughs> and I said, well, sometimes good, but it's not good enough. So we played this thing out. We went to court. And the judge fined him $555. We made him pay it. Took away most of his savings from a summer job that he had. But then, to my surprise, the judge did not take away his license. We thought he would, but he didn't. He did not take it away. So guess who did? <laughs> Mom and dad. We took away his license. Why? Because we wanted him to trust us. So he felt like if we didn't hold him accountable to what we mutually agreed to together, he wouldn't trust us. Neither would his siblings. Oh, that was hard on him. He was embarrassed with his friends, with everyone. It's really hard. But after several months, he came back to me and said, Dad, I'm ready to drive again. I asked, are you clear about the rules? He said, I've never been more clear about anything in my life. <laughs> well, but here's the thing. He had behaved himself out of the problem that he had behaved himself into. What had happened is when he became so responsible, when people were going with him, friends, their friends, parents might ask, hey, where are you going? They hear, don't worry, mom, don't worry, dad. We're going with Covey. And that means we are driving way below the speed limit. Yeah. They're wearing seatbelts. You know, this is no fun at all. But he had behaved himself out out of the problem that he behaved himself into. And today, the trust is not only back to where it was, it's actually higher than it ever has mm. been before. Yeah. It's possible to restore, to regain trust if we're willing to behave our way out of it and back into it. And that's what's possible. My son did it. You can do it. I can do it. We can do this as a society. We've got to be willing to go first. That's what leaders do. Leaders go first. Well, that's what we're going to do, Stephen Covey. Thank you so much. What a great locker room speech to climb out of this recession, to behave in such a way that we earn people's trust and extend trust. You're right. It is the commodity, the commodity. When we go into any situation, we say, what can I do to build trust? Rather than what can we do to get what I want, right? What can we do to get what we want is different than what can we do to build trust? Because trust will get you anything you want. It's far more sustainable. You'll get all the other things you want 
when you start with trust. And when you have trust, you'll get the growth. You know, Mark Benioff has been, for Salesforce, has been saying, you know, what's the most important thing in your culture? Is it trust or is it growth? If anything trumps trust, we're going to be in trouble. It's a new world. Trust better be number one. So you want to get the growth, have the trust. Fantastic. The book is The Speed of Trust. It's Stephen Covey. You can find the book on Amazon or wherever you buy books. Make sure you get it today. I'd say it's our fall read. Got to get it done. Thank you so much, Stephen. Thanks, Don. Great to be with you. JJ, you know, we don't think about this very often, but part of our friendship, the reason we've been doing this for so long, is because we trust each other. Yep. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. You've never broken my trust. Likewise. You've broken my heart. You've disappointed me. <laughs> yeah. But you've never broken yeah. my trust. You, broke, you break my heart every single day, <laughs> some way or another. But um, it's all those trust falls that we do. <laughs> So it's the ropes course. It's the ropes course. It's when we the took the whole team to the mm-hmm. ropes course. Oh, poor Nancy, though. Uh, my goodness. She doesn't trust us anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you well, that. You know, uh, to be honest with you, she wasn't a very good performer. <laughs> I didn't trust her. I don't want to say that on the air. Glad the <laughs> uh, insurance covered that one. Ah, <laughs> uh, Nan. Nan. I had a cotter, but I had a corn dog. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Nancy. All right. So if you want to know more about Stephen M. R. Covey and the speed of trust, get his book, The Speed of Trust. It's on Amazon or wherever you buy books. Music from this episode. Episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's latest record, Dive Deep Hushed, on Spotify or on iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. <laughs>